welcome back to sermons to myself we are continuing the fruits of the spirit series and we are in week 10 on episode 8 of fruits of the spirit and i'm really excited about this episode for several reasons first we last week we talked about faithfulness or stewardship and i started the episode explaining how and apologizing for being late and having a week skipped in between the episodes. And that's what, and I've obviously done that twice. And I mentioned how I had been struggling to find time to commune with God and to just be one-on-one and really heed his advice and listen to him and take his understanding and all of those things. And so it was hard to come up with sermons to myself because I wasn't talking to God to get the sermon from him. And so as we went through the episode of steadfastness and faithfulness, God was talking to me about finances. And in the, towards the end of the episode, I had a revelation about how those same principles he's given me for my finances can be used to optimize my time give him 10%, give others 10%, save 10%, or give myself 10%, and then live with the other 70. And so we talked about how when broken down, that is 2.4 hours, or a little less than two and a half hours, right? So if I give God two and a half hours of my time every day, and I give others two and a half hours of my time every day, and I spend two and a half hours of my time every day on me and preparing for my future, then that other 70% of the time can be spent doing whatever is necessary to live today, whether that be working, sleeping, eating, and you still have time left over, even if you sleep eight hours and work eight hours. Now, I don't know about everybody else, I don't normally get eight hours of sleep. And it's not even like I don't, I can't. It's just I don't need to. Like when I go to sleep at midnight, I still wake up at six or seven. And I feel fine. Like my body naturally wakes up and we feel okay. There's no reason for me to go back to sleep when I'm fine. And so there's always time but to really set apart two and a half hours to spend with God. And I'm going to be completely honest. It's been three or four days since I recorded that, and no, I have not spent two and a half hours with God every day since then, but I'm working on it. I'm getting closer. I'm trying to schedule it out and set it apart, but that brings us to today's episode, and I'm going to read y'all the fruits of the Spirit, our, our main scripture, Galatians 5, 22-23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, we've already done a sermon to myself on love. We've done joy. We've done forbearance or patience. We've done kindness. We've done goodness. We've done faithfulness. And we talked about stewardship. That was last week. We've done gentleness, which is also meekness. And so the only two we have left is self-control and peace. And I'm sure y'all have recognized that in this series, I'm going in the order of the ones that I feel like I have the most control over in my life. I'm, I'm talking about the fruits first, 
that I feel like God has given me peace in my ability to control them. Because it's it's not easy to do the fruit, to have and to be and to act in the spirit and the fruits of the spirit. And so God is still working on me actively. And that's why, like, I was thinking to myself the other day, I really hope no one is taking these sermons to myself and thinking actively that I am preaching to other people about things God has already solved in my life. These are so perfectly titled sermons to myself because I am legitimately talking to myself. Like right now in recording this, I'm in a house by myself. There's no one here and I'm talking it out to myself. Now, do I record them and post them for the public? Absolutely. That's what God instructed me to do. But I am, the sermon is to Shelton. And I hope that someone else can feel and understand and relate to the sermon. But as you noticed, as you saw last week, a lot of these sermons to myself are active revelations for me to better myself. And so it's gotten, like I am a loving person, so doing love was easy. Joy is something I've been working on for the last decade. So that one was easy. Um, Kindness, goodness, patience, those were all easy because those are things I've actively worked on in myself prior to doing this series. And so I had a decent understanding of those. Meekness was a little more difficult. Last week's faithfulness was a little more difficult. This week's self-control is going to be a lot more difficult. It's going to be a lot more difficult. Because self-control is one of those things for me that you know when you're not exercising your own self-control. Like, I, I actively am aware, and this is even the worst part, you know when you're not operating in self-control, but you're still controlling the situation. So it's like when you are allowing yourself to get out of control, you are controlling it by allowing yourself to get out of control. Every action or inaction is a choice. Whether you do it or don't do it is still a choice. Whether you act on it or don't act on it, whether you say it or don't say it, those are all choices. So you can say you lack self-control, but really no one lacks self-control. They just don't exercise faithfulness in their self-control. They don't exercise kindness and goodness and love in their self-control. So we are still controlling yourself, ourselves. And that, that's something I had to rectify with in the moment, like this right now. Because I wanted to come in and I did my little research and I, I, you, I started to prepare for this sermon to myself. And I said, okay, we're going to talk about self-control and how my own personal struggle is God is telling me either to do or not to do certain things. And it still is 
easier. And I don't even mean physically easier, but it, it's more relaxing or comforting to fall back into doing what I've been doing, even though he said not to do it. And realistically, it is a lot of times more difficult. Like it is an inconvenience to do the things he said don't do, but it makes you feel good. Or it gets you around people that you want to be around, even if you shouldn't. And it gets you in moods and situations and feelings and vibes that you get to enjoy, even if they're harmful. And so I want to look at two stories of self-control from the Bible. And I'm going to give them to you relatively quick. There's really not a whole lot of explaining to do because the stories really are straightforward. So the first story is, comes from Matthew 4, 1 through 11, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. And the story is correctly and obviously titled, Jesus is Tested in the Wilderness. And so a lot of us have heard this story, but we may not have read it all the way through or listened to it or, you know. So in Matthew 4, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So I want to focus in this story. And I said I wasn't going to sit on it long, and I wasn't going to do too much explaining and all of the things. And then I reread it one more time, reading it out to y'all. And like I told y'all, this is an active sermon to me. And so when God tells me something, I, I have to make sure I tell myself. The first sentence of this scripture, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I said, what? Like, I know when I was reading it, y'all heard that, Paul, because it hit me. I thought Jesus was in the wilderness doing his 40 days of fasting and praying. And at the end of it, the devil came to him. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Like that was the purpose of him going into the wilderness. And, and it wasn't God told Jesus to go to, no, no, no. It said the spirit led Jesus. 
Look, if we go back to our very, very first series, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. When we talked about wait on the Lord, wait again, I say. And we, we really emphasized wait on him or wait for him so that you can stay with him. Jesus is with the spirit and the spirit took him into temptation. And that really hit me because I spend and most of us spend so much time trying to avoid temptation. But again, going back to that first sermon series, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. You don't get the crown of life until you're tested. You have to survive the test. You have to pass the test in order to receive the crown. So God will test you. The devil will tempt you because God will allow the devil to tempt you because he wants to make sure that when you are tested, when you are tried, you can endure. And so Jesus, after being 40, after doing 40 days of fasting and praying, which means he did not eat for 40 days. And the scripture even says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Because some of us, after we fast for 40 minutes, let, let me be a little nicer. After we fast for 40 hours, a little less than two days, we are hungry, which means we are hangry, which means we will go off and we will justify our going off by I'm sorry, I haven't eaten. But this says after 40 days of fasting, the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness so that he could be tempted by the devil and not tempted by the internet, not tempted by food, not tempted by family and friends, tempted by the devil. Because in order for something to be a temptation, it has to be something that could take you over. No one will ever tempt me by promising me licorice. You can't tempt me by promising me Jim Beam as a type of alcohol. I don't like Jim Beam. So that's never going to be a temptation to me. You can't tempt me with hockey tickets or baseball tickets. Because those things aren't my vices. Those aren't going to take me. You can't tempt me with gambling. Because I don't gamble. So gambling is not ever going to be a temptation for me. A casino is not a temptation for me. I can go sit in a casino for 24 hours and not spend a dime because it's not a temptation for me. But I have friends and family members who can't go sit in a, in a casino for an hour without losing everything they have because it's a temptation for them. So God isn't gonna allow you to be tempted by something that doesn't actually sway you one way or the other. So Jesus couldn't be tempted by actual food because he had just fasted for 40 days. We know he can abstain from food. He could only be tempted by the devil. Now, the devil came in 
And the devil said, you are the son of God. Or if you are the son of God, if you are who you say you are, I know you're hungry. Tell these stones to become bread. Now, here's my thing, right? Just logically thinking. If it was that simple, if all Jesus had to do was tell the stones to become bread, and we know it is that simple, Jesus could have. This is not about ability. Remember meekness. This isn't about ability because he knows he has the power to do all things because of who his father is. So if you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. But if, because it's that simple, if, it, if that was really going to work, Jesus wouldn't have had to have the devil tell him to turn the stones to bread in order for him to turn the stones to bread when his 40 days was up. See, after the 40 days, Jesus fasted his 40 days. The devil doesn't have to come to say, now make this stuff edible so that you can sustain yourself. Because for me, if God says fast 40 days and I know I have the power to turn stones to bread and water to wine, we would have had a whole charcuterie board on day 40 and one minute. So I... I don't understand why the devil thought this would work, or at least I didn't at first, but then I recognized what the devil was doing. See, the devil said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start small. I'm going to try to tempt your flesh first, because that not that how a lot of us get pulled under, right? Like God says, I need you to abstain from sex until marriage. But then before we even really start thinking about sex, our body starts to do things that let us know that sex is an option. We don't have to actively be thinking, I would like to have sex. Our body says you would like to have sex. So, Satan tempted Jesus' flesh first. You're hungry. If you're the son of God, turn that stone to bread. Feed yourself. Really, really make it equitable for you to live. And Jesus' reply is not, I'm not turning that stone to bread. I don't have to prove nothing to you. You ain't nobody. He didn't do that. And that, that's super important to me because he exercised self-control in not just not turning the stone to bread, but also in the way he refused. He said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus didn't even reply to Satan. He let God reply to Satan. Because Satan said, I'm going to tempt you with food because you're hungry. So I'm tempting your flesh with sustenance because you're hungry. So if you're, if you're the son of God, give your flesh some sustenance because you can. 
And instead of Jesus saying, no, I'm not doing that. Or instead of Jesus saying, I don't have to prove to you that I'm the son of God. Or instead of Jesus saying, I've done 40 days, so I could do 41, no problem. It ain't no thing. You must not know who I am and who my God is. He simply said, but God already told me that man cannot survive on bread alone. You're asking me to turn this into something that won't even help me survive. But what will help me survive is every word of God. See, God already told me, God already wrote it down for me that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I don't need bread to survive, but I do need the word of God. So I'm going to just keep focusing on that because he told me to fast. So I'm going to just keep focusing on the word of God. I'm going to keep doing what God has already told me to do, and I won't be tempted by what you're telling me to do. You know, God is our shepherd. He said, my sheep know my voice. Discernment is a key skill when building a relationship with God and trying to follow God's purpose for your life. Discernment is so important in that to make sure that the voice we're following is actually God's voice. Now, for Jesus, I, in my head, I, when I read, I, I see pictures, right? And I see movies. So in my head, Jesus was literally led by the floating spirit ghost into the wilderness. And he said, Jesus, meet devil, devil, meet Jesus. And then Jesus was like, I know him. He, he, he'd been trying to get me, but I'm the son of God. I'm not worried. And then the spirit said, okay, Jesus, you're good. Let's go. I'm going to leave now. Peace be with you. And then the spirit evaporates. And then it's just Jesus and the devil. And when I think of the devil, I see one of those characters from like Big Mouth or something like this. Like not the evil red horns, but just like an ugly creature. But the devil also could be like Prince Charming or whatever, like Lucifer in the show Lucifer. So I see Jesus and the devil standing there. And the devil points at the stone. If you're the son of God, turn that stone to bread. And Jesus stops and he looks at him. And he looks back down at the stone. And he doesn't even look back at the devil. It is written that man should not survive on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then he never looks back up at the devil. And then the devil snaps. And they, and they go to the holy city and it says then the devil took him to the holy city and had him sit in the highest point of the temple so they're on the highest point of this temple and the wind's blowing and they're just standing there and they're looking down and he says okay now i'm gonna tempt your mind with physical pain right the fear of falling so i tempted your flesh with need what you need now I'm going to tempt your mind with what you're afraid of. And for Jesus, I'm assuming the pain, the fear isn't death. The fear is pain. At least in the devil's head. And so they're standing on this temple and, and the wind's blowing and, and everything around them's moving. And they see the horses and the buggies. I was going to say cars, but then I had to remember what time this was. They see the horses and the buggies of the people. And 
the devil says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And then he tries to beat Jesus. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. See, that's what I've learned. When you, when you try to live Christ-like, and the reasons you start giving people for not doing what God has told you not to do, and you point them to the Bible, their retort usually comes from the Bible. People, people who are completely against the Bible, a lot of atheists know the Bible really well so that they start to use it against you. And, and everyone talks about beware of false prophets and this, that, and other. I don't even think it's about beware of people who try to use the Bible to hurt others. But it's that particular scripture is used for instances like this. But I also think it's more like beware of people who are actively pretending to want to help you using the Bible. So people who are acting like they are Christians, not people who are openly saying they're atheists. Those aren't false prophets. They're not claiming to be a prophet. But they're talking about like the the people who own the the cults and and all of the, Jesus is coming and so let me be your leader and I'll make sure we all make it to the sacred place if we kill each other or if we could kill ourselves together in a group we'll all make it to the next level. Those are the false prophets, not the people who are against God but also know the Bible. Those are not false prophets. Those are well studied demons, well-studied adversaries, well-studied atheists, well-studied enemies to Christ, enemies to the kingdom. They're just well-versed. They're well-studied. They understand what it is they're arguing. A good lawyer is always going to know the argument of the other side. They're going to they're gonna anticipate the argument of the other side and try to combat it before they bring it up. That's what a good lawyer does. That's what Satan did right here. I know when I tell you to jump off this building, you're going to come with me. You're going to come at me with, with some words from the Bible. I'm going to beat you to the point by giving. The Bible says that his angels will take care of you. It is written that he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. So if you jump, if you really are the son of God, he won't let you hit the ground. And this reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because if I'm Jesus, and this is why self-control is different. This is why this is one of the last ones, because I'm still exercising. I'm still working on it. But if I'm Jesus, I look at the devil, and I jump off. And I like and and I take whatever consequences because for me it's not even about and this this is why he tempted Jesus to not shell me. Because for me, at this point, it's not even about the temptation. It's not about me trying to prove you wrong. 
It's not trying to prove to you that I'm the son of God. This is where my self-control is. It's even if he don't save me, he's already been so good. I know he can, but even if he doesn't, that doesn't mean you've won. I still believe in him. I am still the son of God, even if I don't survive. Especially if I'm Jesus and I know I have to be hung on the cross. So I know he got in my head this, and this is the self-control. Like, I got to stay alive because I have to make it to the cross. That's the whole purpose of me getting here. Let me go and jump off. Let the angel save me. Hey, devil, as I'm floating back up with chariots and angels all around me. But that's why he didn't tempt me. Jesus had his self-control. But he also knew his word because he came back and said, but it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Question him, don't test him. It's okay to ask for clarity. It's okay to ask for wisdom and understanding and discernment. It is not okay to test God. So, we, well, I'm going to do this. And I know God told me not to, but I'm going to do it. And if he really loved me, he's not going to let no harm come my way. Or Jesus is going to protect me while I'm out doing this stupid foolishness. He can. That don't mean he will. He can. That doesn't mean he will. See, Jesus said, yes, if I jump off of this building. My father can save me. But he already said, don't test him. And jumping off of this building to force him to save me, that's not you tempting me, that's me tempting him. And he told me not to do that. So now you're trying, you're trying to, you tried to tempt my flesh because I was hungry and you told me to make bread. Now you're trying to tempt my mind with fear, but even more than that, you're trying to tempt my understanding of the word. You're trying to tempt my faithfulness towards my father. Do I believe everything he says? You're trying to tempt my relationship with him. Do I believe he loves me enough to save me? You're trying to tempt all of those things. Those are mine issues, fear, love, connection, understanding. And so the devil said, okay, I couldn't tempt his flesh. He, he's, he's made that strong, but that's just the fasting. Let me tempt his mind. Let me tempt his relationship with God. Let, let me tempt his confidence in God's ability to save him. Let me tempt the love that, I, that he believes God has for him. Let me tempt whether he understands the words that God is using. And again, Jesus didn't go off. Jesus didn't try to prove. He acted in meekness. He simply said, but it's also written, do not test the Lord. It's also written, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. Now, there is one place where it says, and this is just me taking a small detour, there is one place where, the, where God does say, test me. And that's with tithes and offering. 
he does say in tithes and offering that you can test him. The specific scripture in Malachi 3 and 10, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for. So the one time Jesus does say, test me, is when he's talking about your tithe. He said, don't bring me part of the tithe. Bring me the whole 10%. Bring me the whole tithe. And in this, test me. Now, he test me in this. This is the one time you get to test me. And see if I don't pour blessings on you. So that's the one time. But other than that, it says, do not test. Do not put the Lord your God to a test. And so then, handsome devil and Jesus, snap fingers, move to the next place. And that's where, he said, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. So now I'm going to tempt you with a legacy. So I tempted your body. That wasn't good enough. It didn't work. So then I tempted your mind. Now I'm going to tempt your future. I'm going to tempt your legacy. I'm going to tempt your spirit. The thing that lasts forever. Would you rather have a soul or a spirit? Or would you rather have legacy? Now, God has already promised you both. Satan can only give you one. But after he said that, he said, all of this, I will give it to you. Everything you see, all of the kingdoms of the world and all of their splendor, I'll give it to you. If you will bow down and worship me. And I'd like to sit here and say, Jesus didn't say, I don't want all the splendors of the world. I don't want all the kingdoms. I don't want to rule everything. Jesus didn't say, my father prepared a place of many mansions and the streets are paved with gold. And I'm... He didn't say any of that. All of that is true. But us as humans, we are, and maybe not we all, I would have looked at the devil and been like, you want to give me all the world, but God has given me the heavens and the earth? I feel like you short by a lot. How you, how you gonna give me something that ain't yours? <laughs> like that, I would have been super smart alecky with the devil. Like he would have pushed me off the mountain. Like in real life, the devil would have pushed me off the mountain and God would have had to come with his angels, lifting me back up to glory because you don't even own all the kings. I, do you know who my daddy is? Like, do you know where I come from? Do you know that I've had conversations with my father where he's already told me not just what he's going to do for me, but what he's going to allow me to do for everyone else? And you think promising me people? I get to rule over people? Well, I'm already doing that. I get to have riches? 
my dad has supplied all of my needs. Do you not remember when, when I, okay, I, I already do miracles. Who do you think I am? You're promising me people and riches, but I have power in my, you already know I can turn stones to bread. You don't think I can turn leaves to money? I don't need what you have. But he didn't say all of that. He said, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I can't bow down to you because the God I serve has already told me he is the only one I can serve. He is the only one I can worship. He's it. So I can't worship you for earthly things and then try to go to him for heavenly things. That's not how that works. He has promised me both earthly and heavenly things if I only go to him. You're promising me earthly things if I go to you. But what's going to happen after I die? Because I will die. Then what? You can't promise me eternity. You can only promise me life. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is what really stuck out to me reading it this last time. Jesus said, away from me, Satan. The devil ain't say nothing back. And it brought up the question in my mind, why didn't Jesus just send him away after the stone and the bread. Like Jesus was led to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, by the spirit. So he was doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing, getting tempted by Satan. When he got there, he was tempted by Satan. If all it took for Satan to have to leave was for Jesus to say, go away. Why didn't he do that earlier? Well, because what he was supposed to be doing was getting tempted by Satan. But even bigger than that, all it takes for you to leave your temptation is to speak to them. See, we all remember the scripture, life and death lie in the power of our tongue. And so parents and preachers and teachers and, and, and everybody uses that to say, don't talk down on people because you can hurt them with what you're saying. Speak life into people because you power of life and death lie in the power of your, lie in your tongue, right? The power of life and death lies in one's tongue. So speak life into people. That's where that comes from, right? Speak goodness into people. That's where that comes from, right? Don't speak down on people. Don't harm, harm people with your words. But it's the power of life and death. It's not super specific. It's life and death. If I want the things around me to die, if I want my temptation to die, speak to it. If I want my fears to die, speak to it. If I want my anxiety to die, speak to it. I want a better way to optimize my time. Ask for it. Closed mouths don't get fed. Speak and it shall be given, or ask and it shall be given unto you. 
So I, I, I'd like to talk again. I, I said in the podcast that y'all heard last week that I recorded a few days ago, I've been really struggling finding time to commune with God and become one with God. And God said, I know that. I knew that. All I needed was for you to say that. And as soon as I said it, he used what he had already given me to give me a revelation about how to better optimize my time. And then when I didn't quite take it right away and do right away what I was supposed to do right away, he then said, okay, let me give you some more time. Let me free some things up for you. Let me make it to where you have the time. Because if the power of life and death lies in your tongue, all you have to do is what Jesus did. Satan, go away. Away from me, Satan. And he, he literally can't. Once Jesus spoke to Satan, Satan didn't have the option to say, well, let, give me one more chance, Jesus. Let me tempt you again. Once he said go away, Satan had to leave. Because Jesus is a descendant of God. And God had already shown us when he told Satan to leave, he had to leave. When he tells Satan to stop, he has to stop. God is not just the ruler of heavens and earth. He's the ruler of all things, including Satan. Satan can only do what God allows him to do. So there are certain things that God says, I could stop this but I need you to be tested. I have your back when you ask for it, but I need you to be tested because there are some things you can do on your own. And that's what makes this self-control. Because God didn't, Jesus didn't ask God to send Satan away. Jesus told Satan to go away. See, that, that, that ate at me because I said, I wish, I've, I've been thinking, I wish God would just take the temptation away. And God said, I don't have to take the temptation away. You can send it away. You have that power. I've given you, what, what does the scripture say? Let me, let, me, let me go to it. In 2 Timothy 1 and 7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear but of power, love, and self-control. God has already told you there are some things, even if I can do them, I won't because you can. There are some battles, even if I can fight them for you, I won't because you can. Right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I tell you all the time, this is my favorite story just because of the way they handle the gangster that they used to handle it. They could have said, God, please come rescue us. Don't allow this man to, to, to harass us this way. We're, we're just praising you and worshiping you, and that's why we're not bowing down to his statue, God. So please have our back when we're in the kingdom. But God didn't show up when they were standing in front of the king. God didn't show up 
when the men were walking them to the fiery furnace. God showed up when they were in the fiery furnace. Now, I say that to say he showed up physically when they were in the fiery furnace because we know that God is always with you. And we can only know this because when the men, when the guards opened the door to the fiery furnace, the guards died. So God had to already be there with his hedge of protection around them or they would have also died as soon as the door opened. But they got in, the door was shut somehow, and then they could see God. Everyone could see God actively working in the fiery furnace because that was the only thing they did not have the power to control. They couldn't make the heat not hot. They couldn't make the fire not hot. They couldn't protect themselves from the fire. God had to do that. But they could stay steadfast. They could stay faithful in their beliefs. And they did that. And they, even if God doesn't save us, we know that he can and we will never serve you. See, some of us have to learn that self-control is a gift. It is literally a fruit of the spirit. So while I'm asking God, take this away from me, why are you allowing me to be tempted by these things? I started to understand that the temptation was necessary. What I still didn't understand was that I can send the temptation away. I don't have to wait for God to relieve me from the temptation. I don't have to wait for God to act on all of the negative influences in my life. God doesn't have to take people out of my life. I can cut them out. God does not have to take all of the sweets away from the grocery store and cause there to be some sort of pandemic in foods or some sort of major outbreak in my favorite brand of cookies for me to stop eating cookies. I just have to stop eating cookies. See, see God has already told us that what is bad for us may not be bad for everybody else. Our temptation isn't gonna be everybody else's temptation. The devil couldn't have walked up to Paul and said, I know you're hungry, turn that stone to bread. Because Paul would have been like, what are you talking about, devil? I don't have that. I can't turn the stone to bread. See, he can only tempt, the devil can only tempt you with things you can actually do. But God will only allow him to tempt you with things you can actually stop. See, if Jesus didn't have the ability to turn the stone to bread, it wouldn't have been a temptation. If Jesus didn't have the ability to jump off of the high temple and survive, it wouldn't have been a temptation. If Jesus didn't have the ability to take the entire, if the devil didn't have the ability to give Jesus all of the kingdoms and wealth, it wouldn't have been a temptation. The devil had the power to give Jesus the whole world. He just couldn't give him anything other, other than that. And we know this because God tells us again in another scripture, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? And that would have been what was happening for Jesus. He would have gained the whole world, but he would have lost his soul. 
So we know that the devil had the ability to give it up or it wouldn't have been a temptation. But we also know that Jesus had the power to say, go away, devil. And the devil had to leave. He couldn't combat Jesus anymore. He couldn't continue trying to tempt. So I'm telling, I'm telling myself, speak to it. You don't have to continue being tempted by things that you know aren't good for you. God has already said, cut these things out. Stop doing these things. I may need to, every time I drive past North Park Mall, say, away from me, Satan. I will not be stopping at Great American Cookie today. Some of you may have to, every time you're in the mall, say, away from me, Satan. I will not spend money I don't have today. Some of you, every time you pass a casino, meaning say, away from me, Satan, I will not stop and bet money that could be saved for my child's future. Some of you may need to say, every time you pass a strip club, away from me, Satan, I will not give money to some poor girl who does not live in my house. Some of you may need to say, away from me, Satan, I will not continue that drug activity. Every time your plug messages you, y'all may need to start texting your plugs back. Away from me, Satan. Now, your plugs may be a little confused when you do it, but, but all you have to do is speak to it. And those are just the physical things. What about the urge? Some of you may need to look down at your pants and say, away from me, Satan. Because God is not going to relieve you from things he's already given you the power to control. And since God did not give you the spirit of fear, that is not a fruit of the spirit, but of power, love, and self-control. God gave you the ability to control things that affect you. And when you don't have that control, when you can no longer control it, then God will step in. Our second story is another one I like because it kind of ties back to the first story we use for stay ready so you don't have to get ready. So in stay, we talked about Saul and um, Solomon. We talked about Saul and Samuel. And we talked about how Saul and his army was going up and they were about to fight. And Samuel told him, wait seven days and he would be back. And then they would sacrifice the offering to God. Saul didn't wait. Samuel told him, because of this, you will not be the king. You were going to be the king forever, and your legacy, your, your descendants would all be kings, but now that will not happen. And I told you in that episode that the person who actually wrote the scripture that we used, which was wait on the Lord to renew your strength, wait again, I say, um was written by David, who would eventually take Saul's place. Well, here, 
in this scripture from 1 Samuel 24, we are with David and Samuel. So now David is the king. Or Saul is still the king, but David is now getting to the point where he's about to take Saul's place. And so in this, it says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of Enjedi. So Saul took 3,000 able-bodied men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off the corner of the robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with a face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen to when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you. But you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, and my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evil doers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. And when David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul, then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So there's so many things that happened in this story. But I'm first going to point out the similarities to when the devil tempted Jesus. So if we start back at the top, why does everything have to happen in the wilderness or the forest or desert? Because God wants to make sure that you aren't putting on a show. The the reason God allows you to be tempted in the dark is because he wants to see, will you still do what's right even when no one's looking? Will you still do what's right even if there's no one to confirm that you did something wrong? 
See, if if Jesus had been tempted by Satan in front of everybody, then we know Jesus is going to do what's right because he has an image to uphold, right? David was out in the wilderness. He was in this cave in the dark. If he kills Saul, the only people with him are loyal to him. They're always going to have his back. And quite frankly, it's so many people there that as the king, he could just order them to kill Saul, and then his hands are technically clean, right? So he had to do what was right in the face of adversity. He had to look at Saul and say, I'm not going to kill him, even though I can. Even though the expectation from everyone around me is to kill him, like that would be the expectation. That's the image I have to uphold. I have to go against my reputation. I have to go against the expectation. I have to go against what everyone assumes I'm going to do and do what God is telling me to do. So even though you may talk about me, because then it goes on to say that he had to tell his men and he sharply rebuked his men, which means his his men, his, his army, his group, they weren't happy with the fact that he didn't kill Saul. They weren't happy with the fact that he didn't go against, that he went against what he was there to do. Because we know that Saul is trying to kill you, David. So now you have this opportunity to kill him and become king, and you don't take it. That's not how kings are supposed to act. And so he had to sharply rebuke them. He had to talk them down, tell them not to attack Saul. He had to go against the grain. He had to put his reputation on the line while he had self-control. And then we keep going in this story. And the men told him, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hand. See the the men are trying to use God's words against David the same way the devil tried to use God's words against Jesus. God told you this was coming. You should be prepared. This is exactly what God wanted for you. Now, David had a little less self-control than Jesus because he didn't just say, well, the God also said don't test him. He sharply rebuked them. But he did. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. He gave him the words back because as we said back in that first series, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Saul was called by God. Saul was anointed by God. So David couldn't kill Saul because he was the anointed king by God. He was chosen by God. David was also just chosen to take his place. But that didn't mean that David had to kill Saul. Even if he could. So again, I say, sometimes it's only a temptation when you can do it. The temptation was for David to kill Saul because David had the ability and the power 
and the reason he had motive, he had space and opportunity, and he had ability to kill Saul. There was a reason why he should. Saul was trying to kill him. That's literally the only reason Saul was out. He was looking for David to kill him. He had the opportunity because Saul had no idea David was in there. And he got close enough to cut off a corner of his robe without him even knowing. So it was tempting because it was possible. But David was able to say, I'm not doing this. He spoke to it. He said to the man, the Lord forbid that I should do this. And then he said to Saul, he used his mouth. He didn't just, because he could have, what I would have done, and this is why we're still working on self-control. I have this corner of your robe, Saul, but I put it in my pocket, and I'm never going to mention how close you were to death. I don't need you to know. I'm a hold that I know. I know I could have taken you out at any time. And then when you come and you try to kill me, I'm going to say, Saul, look down at your robe. And then he notices it's ripped, and I, does this look familiar? Like, it would be a big production for me. Does this, does this corner of the robe look familiar? Remember when you were peeing in the cave? I could have came behind you, and I could have killed you right then, but I did not spare you. David, did, he went right out and said, Saul, and then... Even though he had the upper hand, even though he could have killed him, he still followed the line of hierarchy. He followed the hierarchy. And he got down on his knees and got prostrate, face down. He continued to call him king, lord, master. Because, because those are titles that God anointed Saul with. Just because... Man doesn't get to erase what God put in place. And so he still humbled himself. He showed meekness in his self-control. Do you know how much self-control it takes to know I'm better than you, but still refer to you as Lord, Master, and King? To know that I'm the person who's supposed to rightfully have your place? And that it's coming soon, but still refer to you as Lord, Master, King. To be a steward in where I am to do what God is telling me to do right now, despite of the promise that he's already given me. That'll speak all by itself. David going and laying prostrate in front of Saul, who he could have just killed is the ultimate sign of self-control because at this point, David knows the promise. David knows that he's supposed to be the next king of Israel. And it's not a lineage thing. As you can tell when Saul says, just don't kill my kids and their, and their descendants. Don't, don't kill my family and kill off my father's name. Don't do that. You will be the king, but don't kill my family just because you're the king. They're not going to threaten your power. David knew the promise. He knew what the, and he still held himself in his position currently. If that ain't waiting on the Lord, I don't know what is. He, he said, 
I know where I'm supposed to be right now. I know what God has promised me in the future. But I'm going to act right now what the position requires of me right now. And the position I'm in right now, the title I have right now, the loyalty I have right now, the faithfulness I have right now, is that you are my master. Let me get down, prostrate, lay before you in a sign of respect and honor and loyalty. How many of us are tempted by the promise? Now, it has to be something you can achieve, right? If God promised you something, you know that he will deliver as long as you hold your part, right? But you're tempted by the promise of what God has for you. So you don't act in your position as you should based on God's promise. How many of us are like, "Mm -mm, God is going to give me and one day I'm going to have and I'm going to be able to. So I'm not going to do this. This is beneath me because God already told me I'm going to. God already told me I'm going to run my own company. So I don't have to work for $5 or for $8 an hour. I don't have to show up. I don't have to take orders from nobody who don't know as much as I know. Because God already said, I'm going to run my own company. I'm going to have my own money. I'm going I'm, I'm to be over and not under. I'm going to be the giver and not the borrower. So I don't have to dine with you peasants. Because God already... Okay, well, maybe one day you might be the lender and not the borrower. But today, you owe a whole lot of people money. Humble yourself. See, David knew he was going to be the king, but today, he was not a king. Today, he still had to humble himself. That's self-control. To know, I could have killed you. I could have killed you and been the king instantly. And there, there is the promise. I've been, the promise has been fulfilled. David is now the king. This is what God told me about. The, the men said it. This is the day God told you about. I've, I've already done it. I'm here. I've killed him. I am now the king. I don't have to bow down. But right after that, he didn't kill him. Self-control. And then he, lowered, he humbled himself, lowered himself literally in front of him. Lowered himself literally in front of a man who's trying to kill him. After not killing that man and saying, you are still, you are still my Lord. You are still my master. You are still the appointed king. The anointed king. And I'm going to lower myself. I'm going to humble myself in front of you. As I tell you, I could have just killed you. And then Saul responded in self-control. See, everyone looks at David's self-control in this, but Saul responded in self-control because Saul could have said, well, you had your chance. Boom, you're dead. I guess not boom. Again, there are no guns, but stab, 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 you're dead. Army attack. He is on the ground already. All you have to do is kill him. But he said, you, you can't possibly be my enemy. See, sometimes stopping and thinking rationally is self-control all on its own. I've been hunting you, trying to kill you. You had a chance to kill me, 
and you didn't, rationally thinking, you can't possibly want me dead or I would be dead. I see you have my robe in your hands and I didn't feel you cut it. You could have killed me and I would have woke up dead. I wouldn't have known no different. And you did it. You can't possibly be my enemy because you spared my life. When, when your enemy comes close to you, do you let them go unharmed? No. So I can't be your enemy. That's self-control. And then even more self-control, you are going to be the king. And this is why. You're better than I am. You are more righteous than I am. You follow God's word, which is, again, remember where Psalm messed up, to the T. Even when opportunity is in front of you, you don't seize it, as I did. You've learned from my mistakes. That's why you're going to be the next king. But I only ask that you don't kill my family. See, he understood not just where he was in, I have the power. I am still, he didn't say you are the king today. He said, you will be the next king of Israel. Will be in the future, not right now. You ain't today. I am still the king. But even as the king, I'm still going to lower myself and have a request from you. I now have to request something of you, even though I have more power, even though I have more authority. I still have to make a request to you because I understand my position now and the promise God has given me. So I have to have self-control. I have to humble myself right now. So as I said when I started this one, self-control is a lot more than what you choose to do or don't do because either way you've made a choice you've acted in self-control whether you choose to control yourself or choose to allow yourself to do other things it's all control you don't lose control when people say i just lost control no you didn't you just controlled yourself incorrectly I just blacked out. Yeah, you gave your control away. You gave your control to alcohol. You gave your control to whatever drugs, whatever hallucinogen, whatever. You gave your control. That is self-control. You gave the control of yourself that you had. You, you willingly handed it off to someone or something else. That's not smart. But it's still self-control. I didn't mean to say all those things. Yes, you did. Yes, you did, because you said them. Words don't fly out of our mouth. We have to say that. Our vocal cords literally don't act on their own. We have to control them. Our hands, our feet, they don't act on their own. We have to control them. And even when, like, medically, the spasms and the things, those aren't out of, that is our body still controlling our body. Our mind controlling our body. And we know, yes, in the human realm of things on earth, there are medical conditions that, like you have Tourette's, where people literally can't control what they're saying. 
and words just fly out. Right? You have seizures where you literally can't control your body and it convulses and things on it. But God has said he's given you the he's given you power, love and self-control. And the hardest part for me of self-control is recognizing the promise but being humble where I am. The hardest part of self-control is recognizing my surroundings, but controlling what God has told me to control. The hardest part of self-control is understanding the temptation and speaking to it away from me, Satan. It's some things this next week, I'm gonna have to walk around and say, "Mm -mm, away from me, Satan. I'm going to have to look at away from me, Satan. If you see me this week, if you see me in the next month, and you hear me just speaking to some things, away from me, Satan. No, I'm just trying to avoid temptation. Know, know that if I'm, if I'm in a conversation with somebody and I say to myself, away from me, Satan, I may not be talking to the person. I may be talking to my thoughts. I may be talking to the words that are going filtered through my head. I may be talking to to the anxiety I feel. I may be talking to the anger that's boiling up inside me. Because sometimes we just have to recognize this is something I can control myself. It's a fruit of the spirit. I have to learn to exercise. The same way I have to learn to exercise love and peace and joy, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and meekness. The same way I have to exercise those, I have to exercise self-control. I have to say to myself, we're not going to do that. I have to say to myself, you can leave here. And I have to say to my temptation, away from me, Satan. (laughs) 